turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3 this evening. I wanted to share um, a quick word of testimony. Uh, evangelism testimony. Didn't have the opportunity to do it on Sunday. Um, so I, heard, I noticed Brother John was talking about um, passing out tracks on Wednesday. We were supposed to meet up with them, but uh, missed the important information of which BART station to go to. So we ended up at a different BART station, Cole and I, but uh, still had the opportunity to pass out a lot of tracks uh, that evening. And I was uh, pleasantly surprised, uh, and I praise the Lord for the opportunity to do so. It's, it's been a while for me having done that, and so the expectation of just kind of how, how I see people viewing the gospel is a lot more animosity. And I know Brother John was talking about that and how he had that situation um, with a guy throwing up, uh, ripping up a tract and throwing it in his face. Uh, so we actually didn't have any of that, and it was the complete opposite, which I was really thankful for. Um, and there was even a gentleman who introduced himself to me and was really happy seeing Cole and um, myself passing out tracts. And he said, oh, are you a, a born-again Christian? And so just had an opportunity to talk to him. And he asked, what church do you go to? And um, how did you get saved? And was just really interested and thankful, saying, appreciate you guys passing out these tracks. So it was uh, a blessing in that it was the complete opposite of commendation rather than being attacked, um, being out there. So um, I thought that that was, um, that was notable. So it's a good opportunity. Uh, so we're going to be in 2 Peter 3 this evening, and I think we were somewhere in verses 10 and 11 the last time that we were together. So I'm going to begin reading there in verse 10. Just a reminder, um, 2, Peter, 2 Peter, the book of 2 Peter is about the theme of the book is to beware of false prophets and false teachers. Um, if you look at the beginning of chapter 3 in particular, it starts to talk about um, the end times uh, in verses 1 through uh, 7. Um, I called it the direction uh, from the prophets in that um, these false teachers who... Peter is warning against to beware of one of the things that they want to try to get you to fall into is that it's been a long time and the Lord hasn't come so the way that things have been going is the way that it's going to continue to be you're wasting your time and so the direction from the prophets is that no um, God said he's going to return and he is going to return and so all of this pretense of why is he taking so long is not because he's actually taking long, but because of God's mercy. And um, so we started to look at these things. We saw the devotion of the Lord in verses 8 and 9. Um, verse 8 saying, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Uh, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. And so the point of of seeing God's goodness to us is, is actually not an argument for those false prophets to say, he's taking long, and because he's, took, he's taken so long to return, it's not going to happen. 
And so he's, Peter's reminding and saying, no, the Lord isn't slack concerning his promise. He's, he's not taking his time. He's not forgotten. Um, I know as I teach with fifth and sixth graders, that's something that happens a lot. And I'll tell them, remind me because I'll forget. I'm telling you now because it's on my mind. But when it comes time, I probably will forget. So remind me. That's not what the Lord has done. The Lord is giving this long time out of mercy. Um, verse 9, long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so we transitioned, starting in verses 10 and following, and this is actually to the end of the chapter I've entitled The Diligence of a Believer. We were looking at a little bit of this, I believe, in verse 10, um, but this is where we'll pick up this evening. So... 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and following. Hopefully we'll get to verse 14 tonight. That's what I have slated, but we'll see. So starting in verse 10, make sure I'm actually in 2 Peter here. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. So again, starting in verse 10 to the end of this chapter, I've, I've uh, entitled this particular section, The Diligence of a Believer, considering that the Lord is coming back. Considering that this is something that false prophets and teachers try to say, he's not coming back. It's been so long. You're waiting all this time and he hasn't come back. We, as believers, could easily fall prey to thinking, well, it's not going to happen anytime soon. And we can start to get complacent. And so the diligence of a believer as it mentions in verse 10, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And we've spent time talking about this. We talk about security and we have different things in place for that time. When this happens, we want to be ready. But even more so than physical security is this concept of, of what life ultimately is about, is honoring God and, and there is going to be a reckoning. The Lord is going to return. And so it says, the day will come as a thief in the night. And the point of that is that we don't know when he's going to return. So you should be ready at any moment's notice. And I know there have been examples that Pastor Stagger had mentioned, myself included, of times as a child where you, where I, where we might think, well, mom or dad's not coming home anytime soon, so I can do this. And I know it, it seems like a... a pretty typical thing is the homework, always putting off the homework. There will be time later. And that idea is that we don't know because just like a thief, a thief doesn't announce his coming. It's going to be a surprise. You can look up, you know, and there's, there's 
a whole slew of things you can find of CCTV footage of people getting surprised by attackers. And it says that the Lord, the day of the Lord, will come as a thief in the night. And so the importance of that is that we have to live our lives that way. We want to be watchmen. We want to be servants that are faithful, always looking for his appearing. And then it talks about that destruction as well of when the Lord does come. Um, it says, In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Um, I was reading that pamphlet, The Voter's Guide. I don't know if any of you guys have started to look at that yet. And I was just looking at the, the different things. What, what do Democrats believe? What, what's their position? What do Republicans believe? What do Libertarians believe? What do the Green Party believe? And as I was reading through it, I came across something along the lines of, of climate change and, and this particular party wants to uh, do different things, put different programs into place to try to um, fight against that. And I thought, well, what is that about? This climate change, this global warming, this wrong philosophy that California is heavily stuck in is that we're going to destroy this earth. And so we need to get rid of our cars that produce all of these pollutants and we need to drive these green vehicles. And so by such and such a time, there will no longer be um, motor vehicles. And what is that about? It's man's ideas of we're destroying the earth and we need to preserve that from happening. And then I thought of this passage here, where it says, In the which, the day of the Lord, coming as a thief in the night, in the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Nowhere in there does it say that we're going to destroy the earth. And I always tell my students, you know, people tend to worry about these things, and not, not to say that we shouldn't take care of the earth. We're supposed to be good stewards of what God's given us. But the pendulum swing of, well, we need to eliminate all of these things because we're going to destroy the earth. No, the Lord's going to destroy the earth when he returns. And so all the way back to this whole wrong idea of false prophets and teachers saying, the Lord isn't coming back. No, he is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to judge. Now, it is kind of funny to me, I always see the comedy in scripture, because we look at this, and I remember hearing things like this as a child and thinking, because I've, I've entitled this section, The Diligence of a Believer, and ultimately it's going to talk about how we're supposed to look forward to the coming of the Lord. And you can get short-sighted and look at this and say, how am I supposed to look forward to the Lord's return when it says that when he comes, the heavens will pass away with a great noise? When he comes back, it's not going to be fun and games, it's going to be death and destruction. How can I be happy? And we'll, Lord willing, talk about that. But we see that when the Lord returns, there is going to be a reckoning. There is going to be judgment. This earth is going to pass away. It's going to melt. And we've spent time talking about that. We looked at scripture. We know that um, this happened to the earth through the flood. There was punishment that came. And scripture tells us, different passages of scripture, including this one, tells us that when the Lord returns, 
It's going to be punished by fire. And so it got me thinking as well. You know, sometimes, and, and I know Pastor had mentioned some things along these lines too, is we can get caught up in our lives with the mundane. We can get caught up with my job. I need to take care of this. Um, my house, my, my, my bills, my this, my that. Sometimes we can start to even invest a little too much into our earthly possessions. I was talking to my students today in the book of Proverbs about that. You know, people look for gold and silver and, and rubies, but what is supposed to be more valuable than these things is wisdom, which we get from Scripture. But so many times we can invest in these earthly possessions, you know, I need to get a, and this is something that I hear a lot too, even as I teach students, and I remember hearing growing up too, before we started to come to churches, you need to get a good education, which we would agree with. But what's the philosophy, the worldly philosophy is get a good education so you can get a good job, so you can make good money, so you can have a nice house and nice things so that, in my words, as a five or six-year-old, you don't end up being the opposite. You're going to be a bum on the streets. Okay. And so the philosophy is I got to get those riches. And sometimes we as believers can get caught up in that too. Maybe not full tilt, but still the idea is, oh man, you know, I got to work towards this promotion and I'm, I'm really busy with this and I got to do that. And I've been working hard. I need this vacation. I need to go on this vacation. Man, I really want that nice car. I really want that. We need, we need to upgrade our house, you know, we're in this little house, we need to upgrade, we need a nicer this, we need a nicer that. And we can get caught up in those types of things. Pastor Stagger was referring to a nice car. We can look at these things, not that we're saying, oh, I want to get that. But we recognize it, and sometimes we can fall prey to, it would be nice. What if? But the thing is, if when the Lord returns and all of these things are going to be burned up with fervent heat, why are we wasting our time? And I'm not advocating, you know, sell all you have, um, live in a cave, become a hermit. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is just it's a good time for us to examine in our lives and say, what am I living for? Am I starting to worry too much about collecting things and putting things, adding, adding to my wealth. And my wife and I had a conversation recently about actually cutting back just because the economy and things. I, I'm not saying this to try to get you to feel sorry for me or donate to us. I'm not saying that. I am saying that we had to have a serious conversation. It's like, what can we cut? What can we cut? Maybe this, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this. And... You know, the, the other part of me, I guess you can say the flesh, says, well, we kind of need internet, right? And we kind of need the car wash membership, right? Because, you know, it is hard work washing that car. We got two of them. It takes an hour at least, you know. You go to the car wash and whoop, do it every day if you want. It's membership. It pays for itself. So I'm kind of letting you in on. And so you can make excuses. I can make excuses and say, we, I know we need to cut, but maybe not that. Maybe not this. 
And just coming to the realization that as much of a convenience as it is, do we really need this? You know, we teach science class with the students and say, what are needs for all living things? Well, it's, it's necessary for survival. My brother and I, we had a running joke when we were in college because my dad gave us his credit card. Authorized users, super dangerous. Authorized users on his credit card, and he says, sons, this is for emergency purposes. And so my brother and I sometimes would joke and say, dad, I needed that hamburger. It was an emergency. I was really hungry. So I say all of these things to say we, we can have a false idea sometimes and even reason within ourselves, myself included, where I need this or I need that. But is it something that we really need? Especially considering in light of the fact that when the Lord returns, it's all going to burn. And I think of the passage of precious stones, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. And I can't help but be convicted and say, what are the things in my life that might be dross? I need to let that go. And I think it's a great time to look at that when we're considering, hey, when the Lord comes back, am I going to be that faithful servant or am I caught up in the things? May not even necessarily be sinful. I go back to the car wash. Nothing wrong with the car wash. Okay, but... You know, is it an added expense that I don't need? Maybe I need to be a better steward with the money that I do have. So, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The elements, these things, will be burned with fervent heat. It'll be burned up. And we touched on this the last time that we were together. Verse 11 says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved... What manner of persons ought ye to be? In all holy conversation and godliness, it continues into verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So verse 11 and verse 12, this is a rhetorical question. I always like to tell my students, rhetorical question. Sounds like a big fancy word, but it basically means it's a question that has an obvious answer to it. So, in light of verse 10, knowing that the Lord is going to return, and all of these things are going to be burned up, the rhetorical question is, seeing that all these things will be dissolved. We just studied in science class recently dissolving, you know, solutions, solutes and, and solutions, and you stir, right? And then it, it blends in. But the understanding of being dissolved is not that the earth is going to be mixed together. But the idea of it being dissolved is that it's going to be loosened. You know, the one, 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 one of the main words that we learned in Greek one was luo. I am loosing. Okay, and I scratched my head and thought, loosing, like untying, undoing. And then it hit me. The earth is going to be undone the earth is going to be loosened so when it says dissolved you know unwound i think of my mom my mom likes to knit and if you're not careful you know you accidentally pull the thread and there it goes all that work okay my cat my mom especially loved when vector was over it's messing with her ball of yarn stop it 
Wag kang ganyan. Okay. But seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, this earth is going to be undone. No longer here, dissolved. Seeing that that's going to happen, knowing it's going to happen, what manner of persons ought ye to be? How should that affect you? How does this apply to you? I ask my students that all the time. If that's what this says, then what does it mean for us? Because the whole point of why we read anything is to be influenced. So if this is the case, in other words, the case is the Lord's going to return and this earth is going to be destroyed, what's the application? What does that mean for us, church family? What manner of persons? How should you behave? What's the quality of your character that should be in existence related to holy conversation and godliness? Holy conversation meaning your existence should be set apart from the world. Meaning that ultimately, as believers, our behavior should be lining up with God. Pure, respectable toward God. James 1, 24. says, For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. I had a student, I think it was last year, that I would quote this verse to him. Hey, so-and-so, did you look in the mirror this morning? Yeah? Did you happen to see that your hair, you had a little Dennis the Menace thing going. Matter of fact, I saw that this evening. After dinner, I was looking in the mirror before I came over, and I thought, I got a little Dennis the Menace going. Got to, got to pat that down. But did you check in the mirror? Did you see what your hair looked like? Did you look at your face, your eyes, your mouth? You did? Maybe next time you should do something about what you saw. And so this verse here that we just looked at, you know, to me it's comical, but that was a real-life example of this. He beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. I, up until this point that I had the student, I would have said, who, in their right mind, looks in the mirror, sees all the mess, and does nothing about it. Just, okay, I I checked myself in the mirror. My mom told me, check, I did that, time to go now. No, you missed something. The point of looking in the mirror is to fix whatever needs to be fixed. We don't want to be this, that you look and do nothing about it. Philippians 1.27 Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conversation 
be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So notice at the beginning of verse 27, it's talking about your conversation. And certainly that could be your dialogue, actual conversation, but it means more than that. It's your lifestyle. It's your behavior. And what is our behavior supposed to be based on Scripture? It's supposed to be conversation that becometh the gospel of Christ. It ought to match. I can't help but think of something that um, has, has been a phrase used throughout the times. You want to not only talk the talk, but you want to walk the walk. It's not good enough that you talk a good game. You have to practice what you, ha- what you preach. You say something, are you backing it up with the way that you behave? And us as believers, that's what our conversation should be, considering that the Lord is going to return. Considering that this world is going to be destroyed. The application should be for us to live godly lives, to be faithful. 2 Peter 3.12, which we're also going to get into, Lord willing, this evening. It says, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So, other than faithfulness, other than godliness, what else should our conversation be like? How should we behave knowing that the Lord's going to return, knowing that this world is going to be destroyed? We're supposed to be looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. Brothers and sisters, do you look forward to the return of Christ? I remember when I was younger, it used to scare me. Why? Well, because it just said, when he comes back, he's going to destroy the earth. If you're an enemy, that's you too. That's serious. And obviously that should be more of a motivation for us to be preaching the gospel, to spare to love our fellow man, that they might escape. Isn't that one of the tracks that we have, the blue one? You might be in the worst trouble and not even, not even know it. That's coming. And that is a scary thing if you're on the wrong side. But if you're a believer, you're looking for it. You want it to come. You're hasting. This idea of looking for it is not just... You know, I, I think of my sister and I, you know, we, we, would, we have our different experiences that we joke about now as adults, about when we were kids. There's somebody that's supposed to be the lookout. And I don't know if you guys ever heard the story. It wasn't me. It was my, my sister was playing. They were playing football in the classroom. And there was a kid that was supposed to be the lookout. And this is the story that comes up every time that we, we joke about, you know, a failed lookout. Kids were playing football. The lookout was supposed to be looking out for Pastor Sutton. But the lookout waited till Pastor Sutton was already in 
the same room to say, he's here. <laughs> what? Okay. But that idea of looking out is not so we don't get in trouble. The idea of looking out is you're anticipating. You expect the Lord to return, which is completely opposite of what the world is saying. These false teachers, they said, the Lord's not going to return. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your life following after Christ, going to church. You could be having all of this fun, living for yourself. No, a believer is anticipating the return of Christ. He expects it. And more importantly, he's hasting unto the coming. What is that? You're wanting it to come quickly. You're eager. I think of my kids when they're excited, and myself included when I was a kid, when there was something that I was really excited about. What would I do with my parents? Ask over and over and over and over. And I see my students do the same thing. Mr. Robles, are we going to? Are we going to? Are we going to? Are we going to? And I'll turn and look at them sometimes and say, did you realize that you asked me the same question five times? But what is that? That's an eagerness. That's excitement. Do you, church family, look for the coming of the day of God? Are you excited for that? I know as I've gotten older, my attitude, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but just like I said, when I was younger, I, I was fearful of it. Almost to the point that I don't want the Lord to return because I'm doing this, because I'm doing that. Or even the joke, Katrina's not in here tonight, Brother John's not in here tonight, of Lord, please, at least, at least after the wedding... But that attitude's changed to, even so, Lord, quickly come. Why? Because now that I've gotten older and, dare I say, have matured, you start to see the wickedness around. And you say, I look forward to the Lord's rule and reign because I'm sick of this wickedness that I see on a regular basis. But we as believers, this is what our conversation, what our behavior should look like. The rhetorical question in the verse previous, what manner of persons ought ye to be? In other words, how should you behave knowing the Lord's coming back? You should be looking forward to it. You should be expecting it, and you should be excited about it. You should be eagerly waiting for the Lord to return. Now, again, I see the comedy in Scripture because shortly after it says, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, and then it goes right back to doom and gloom. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved. Look forward to this. Yes, destruction. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. Praise the Lord. Let it happen now. So I can't help but see the comedy of... of it's talking about the excitement, but these two things don't seem to go together. But it's a reality. The Lord is going to come, and there is some seriousness to Him coming. We should certainly be happy and looking forward to it coming, 
But at the same time, it should be almost sad, scary, because we understand that the Lord is going to destroy his enemies. The Lord is going to destroy this world. And I think about who's in the world. Certainly there are people out there that I don't know. To me, nameless, faceless. But there are also a lot of people out there that I do know. Relatives, aunties, uncles, grandma, cousins. Strangely enough, even in the workforce, people that I've semi-become fond of working alongside of. Punishment's coming for them. And I'm sure you have friends, you have family too, that are unsaved. Punishment's coming. Judgment's coming. The fire's going to dissolve this world. It's going to undo. It's going to loosen. It's going to dissolve by fire. That, in and of itself, should be motivation to us, brothers and sisters, to preach the gospel faithfully. To live faithful lives. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 7 and 8. 1 Corinthians 1, 7 and 8. <clears throat> so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting... For the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, talking to that point of how we as believers ought to be looking for and hasting, looking forward to it, excited about the Lord's return, here's something that we can be glad about. We're waiting for the coming of the Lord, but verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 1 says, who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless. I know that when I think about myself, in and of my own strength, I'm not blameless. But because of the work of Christ, I can be. And that's something that we can be glad about and say, I look forward to his return. Because only by his work am I going to be considered blameless. Am I going to be considered a son of God that I get to enter into his kingdom? That's something to look forward to, to haste to. Titus 2.13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The fact that we as believers have this hope. When I was younger, I misunderstood hope to mean it's something that you hope. Like, I hope, sorry, some of you may not like this. This was last week, last Sunday. I hope the Niners win. Okay, what is that? There's an unsurety of it. But I really hope, fingers crossed, that's not the hope that we're talking about here. Like there's a possibility it might not happen? No. When Scripture says that we look for that blessed hope, 
this is something. I think of scripture where it talks about how faith is the, the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This is not, I hope it's going to happen. It might happen. It might not happen. This is evidence, though we may not see it. There's proof. You can count on this. The Lord is going to return, and we should be looking for that blessed hope. This is something that is guaranteed. The Lord's going to return. His appearing is going to be glorious. He is our Savior. We can rejoice. We can look forward to that. And then Jude, verses 21 to 25. Jude, verses 21 to 25. It says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now, unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. So as we look at this passage again, we're reminded of just what it is we have to look forward to as believers. Just what it is that we should haste towards. We're excited for. We want this to come quickly because of God's mercy. Verse 24, unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. We don't deserve that. And yet his goodness, his graciousness, his mercy to us is that he will present us faultless. Backing it up a little bit farther, verse 23, Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Yes, there is destruction coming, and this ought to be a reminder yet again of preaching the gospel, pulling those out of the fire. We don't want this to happen. We know that punishment is coming with fervent heat. Let this be a motivation. What You know, going back to verse 10, uh, verse 11, excuse me. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? It's this. We should be faithful. It's this. We should be preaching the gospel. Trying to help others escape that pending judgment. This is the kind of life that we should be living as believers knowing that the Lord is going to return, knowing that this world is going to be destroyed, it should spur us into action. It shouldn't be something that we listen to and say, that was a good message. That was a good passage of Scripture. I'm going to go home now, sit down on my couch, deep couch sitting, enjoy some Kool-Aid. This should be life-changing. This should be something that we look at as a kick in the pants to say, have I been doing this? No, I need to change. Maybe, brothers and sisters, you have been faithfully doing this. Praise the Lord. I want to encourage you, like Pastor Sutton would say, rah, rah, rah. Go, team, go. Keep it up. Be faithful to preach the gospel out there.
Be faithful to your Lord. Verse 13, 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So, another characteristic, another behavior, going back to that verse 11 where it says, What manner of persons ought ye to be? Well, this is how we ought to be as well. According to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. What are you living for? I was talking about this earlier. Are you distracted with the allure of the world? With your riches that you're acquiring? With your vacations, with your possessions? Because we should be looking forward to new heavens and a new earth. It reminded me of a song, and maybe I should wait a little bit to talk to this point. But knowing that the Lord's going to return, nevertheless, not a word that I use in my vocabulary, but according to what we're understanding here, the fact that the Lord is going to return, the fact that the earth is going to be destroyed, according to his promise, based on the assurance of what the Lord has said, we ought to be looking forward to new heavens and a new earth. Not this world that we're living in. I remember when I was eight years old, we had just started coming to church. And I remember talking to one of my classmates, and I asked him, when you die, are you going to go to heaven? Are you going to go to hell? Do you know, do you know where you're going to go when you die? And he said, I don't want to go to heaven. And it, that, that reaction just floored me. And I said, what do you mean you don't want to go to heaven? Shouldn't everybody want to go to heaven? The alternative's hell. And what he told me was this. He said, I don't want to go to heaven. I definitely don't want to go to hell. I want to stay here on earth. I like it here. And sometimes that could be our wrong thoughts too. I really like it here on earth. Now, I'm not saying that you should hate living here on earth. And the pendulum swing would be, well, hurry up and get out of the earth. But the point is this. When you compare this life on earth, and it is wonderful, all that God has given us, it is kind of strange to me that people would say this is hell on earth. You might have come across people that would believe that and say, don't you know what life is like on this earth? It's so bad. But when you compare this life and how good it is, how, could, how good it could be to eternity, and we look at what eternity is like, start to realize this earth is not really something that you should be living for. What do people say? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Lay up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. Why? Because this earth is where moth does corrupt, where thieves do break through and steal. It's not something that's going to last. Look for new heavens. New. Okay, the idea of, you know, if you get a new pair of shoes, this is brand new, different from the old ones. But a new heaven, a new earth. When we look at the sky, I was talking to my students about this. 
You know what it means when it says heavens. Certainly it could be the abode of God, but it could also be just the sky. When we look at the sun, the moon, the stars, we ought to be looking for something new, not this present world that we're currently living in. Anticipate something fresh, something new, something uncommon. And you know, as believers, as we look at eternity, it is uncommon in comparison to this world. When we consider eternal life, everlasting life, that's what we should be looking forward to. A new heaven, a new earth, not like the one that's currently what, where we're at, but a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness is at, where God is at, purity, justice, the abode of God, something better than this present world. Isaiah 65, verse 17. Isaiah 65, verse 17. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. This is a weak example, but you all might remember the time you got your new car. And I don't know. I, I don't know if you get nostalgic about things and, oh, remember that old car? It was just so great. Well, when I think of the old car, the first car that I had was given to me, I was able to drive, was a 1982 Toyota Celica. Brown, 250,000 miles on it. In fifth gear, it maxed out at 65 miles an hour. I don't dream about that car ever. I don't say, oh, that old car. I look at what the Lord has given me today and I say, I am so thankful for that newer vehicle. Well, it's not newer now, but newer then, newer to me. But we look at the new things and we say, why did I ever? That old thing. And I remember when I was 18 driving that car, as bad as it was, thinking I was hot stuff. Look at this car. I got a car. Mom, can I go to In-N-Out? I got my license now. Barely have $5 in my pocket. But I'm driving to In-N-Out because I can drive now. But I say that to say, when we think of the new, like this verse was saying too, that the Lord's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. The former is not going to be remembered. This world, in other words, is not even going to be a thought in eternity. Why? Because it doesn't even come close. That's why we should be looking forward to these new things, hasting to the coming of the Lord. Next chapter over, Isaiah 66, verse 22. Isaiah 66, verse 22. It says, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. That idea of eternity. Not only is it a new heaven and a new earth, it's going to be eternal, but he says your seed, your name will remain. If you're a believer... You get part of that. 
It's definitely something to look forward to. And then in Revelation 21, to close out this evening, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. This is what we have to look forward to as believers. A new heaven, a new earth, no more death, no sorrow, no crying, no more pain. Because the former things, i.e. this world that we're currently in, is going to pass away. Look forward to what the Lord has in store for you as a believer pastor was talking about John 14. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Look forward to that and say, even so, Lord Jesus, quickly come. But is that you, brothers and sisters? Because it ought to be. I was talking about a song that I was reminded of that says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We ought not to feel comfortable here on this earth. We ought not to be investing too much time and effort into what we can collect and do here. We ought to be looking forward to eternity. That should be the diligence of us as believers, that we're looking to that diligently, putting effort constantly. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word that is quick and powerful. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and we just pray that we would be governed by it. We ask that you'd be honored in Jesus' name. I don't know anything that starkly divides saved from unsaved like our attitude about the future. If you're saved, death doesn't scare you. In fact, you welcome death or the return of the Lord because it just gets you there sooner. And you're hoping, you're looking forward to it because that's the side that you um, have laid your treasure up in. And, and you, know, you know, Lazarus and the, and the rich man died and they both, um, you know, poor people die, rich people die. But it says of the rich man that he fared sumptuously every day. And that's 
too often that it would be the attitude of the unsaved person, which is, I'm kind of enjoying this right now. I like it here. I'm faring sumptuously every day. I'm taking care of, I, I'm attached. I'm, I'm, this is like um, Brother Glenn said, I kind of just want to stay here like things are. Um, that, that's not the attitude of a saved person. I mean, we, we can enjoy some things on this side, but it's not even to be compared, like the Apostle Paul said, with the glory that's to be revealed in us. And so we look forward, long for, desire greatly to be on the other side and welcome whatever it is that, that would take us there. And so that's, a, that's an easy check in your heart to say, well, am I saved or unsaved? Well, if, if, you're, if you're ready and you're wanting and you're desiring it and saying like John, even so come quickly, and it's not going to interrupt anything. I mean, maybe short of a wedding, but no. Um, you're, 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 you're ready to go, then that's, that's good evidence that you're saved. But if you're thinking, I'm scared, I don't know, well, that would be evidence that there's something not right, that you're not saved. And so I encourage you, don't, don't let a day go by and not settle that. Settle that with God, that um, you want that abundant entrance, like the Bible says. It says of Lazarus when he died that the angels bore him, you know, into the bosom of Abraham, and so you're you're looking forward to that with great uh, anticipation. So that's good, and and just the fire part of it too. I wanted to comment on, and you know, interesting in in the Bible materials. You think about brass. Brass often is the metal that comes up when there's judgment involved, and the fire, the baptism of fire, you think that John preached that he will, that is Jesus will baptize with fire, and that's what we're talking about with the judgment of fire that's going to result in the lake of fire. But even in of Jesus, it said that his feet are like brass. It's fire, um, you know, for the, for the Christian, we don't have the fire of hell that we're concerned about, but there is that holiness part of the passage that he just preached that's saying, you know, what manner of men ought we to be? If just a little bit of that fire singes us enough to burn away the dross, and that was, I thought, a really uh, challenging part of the message. So thanks.